0: stand for the reading of the word, Hosea chapter 2. I'm going to read two verses of scripture. They are not subsequent to one another. They're just two verses separated by a couple of verses. I'm going to start with Hosea chapter 2 and verse 5. Hosea chapter 2 and verse 5. Amen. I'm thankful for the presence of God that's in this house today. I truly believe, I do not believe for a moment that We've come together on a Sunday afternoon in vain. I believe that God is here. I feel His presence. I felt His touch already on this service today. And I believe that if you'll lend your ear to the Word of God for the next few moments, I believe God is about to speak into your heart, into your life. I believe that He loves us enough not to leave us the way we are. He loves us enough to stir us, to touch us, to change us. Amen? Amen. Hosea chapter 2, reading first from verse 5, it says, For their mother hath played the harlot. She that conceived conceived them hath done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, mine oil and my drink. I want to skip down to verse 8. Just read the first part of verse 8. It says this. For she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold. She said, I'll go after my lovers that give me bread and water, wool and flax. He said she didn't know I gave her corn and wine and gold and silver. I want to preach for a few moments this afternoon. On the priceless for the worthless. The priceless for the worthless. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I love you. I thank you for your goodness and your anointing. I thank you for the presence of God that I feel in this house. And I'm asking, Lord, that in the next few moments... You would allow the divine voice of God to speak into our hearts, Lord. I'm asking, Lord, you would examine each and every one of us, Lord. Let us see in ourselves, Lord, what it is that you desire to speak to us, God. And let us respond. Let it touch us and let it change us, God. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, would you say amen? amen? Amen. You may be seated. Last night, my family and I went up to Cherokee Village to watch a fireworks show. We got there early, seven, about 7.30. Uh, people start gathering there at about 7 o'clock and waited for dark. It was a long wait seven from 7 to 9 before the fireworks would begin. And they entertained us with things like a boat parade and a helicopter air show and things like that. But there was a young couple that was seated beside us that uh, they got there before we did. I don't know how early they got there, but they were seated on a blanket near us and And they had their three-year-old daughter with them. Her name was Noelle. And just as the darkness began to settle in, just as the waiting was finally going to be over, just as the fireworks show was just getting ready to begin, a vendor came along selling glow-in-the-dark bracelets for a dollar. And Noelle's mom and dad bought her a handful of those bracelets uh, And and it fascinated that little girl. They were bright, vivid colors. They seemed to have a life of their own. They they, they glow, and they're brilliant, and they're neat, and they're captivating. And she was completely caught up in them. As a matter of fact, she was so captivated by those glow-in-the-dark bracelets that when the main attraction began, when the very impressive fireworks began to explode in the night sky, Noelle was looking the other way. She was content to play with... Her new luminescent wands of color. It frustrated her mom and dad. Her dad was right beside me, and he kept telling her, Noel, this is the reason why we came. This is the only reason why we sat on this levee for several hours. Now, if you can't appreciate this, we may as well not have even come out here. This is the main attraction. But Noel didn't care. She was captivated with her little dollar store toys when thousands of dollars' worth of exquisite and impressive fireworks were exploding behind her, all she cared about was the little trinket that she had in her hands. As a dad, I was reminded of those mornings when my kids on Christmas morning would open some expensive gift, only to be more delighted with the wrapping paper in the box than they were with the gift. How many parents remember that? It's just the way kids are sometimes. They're content with whatever captures their imagination in a moment. They, they will literally ignore a very costly display of, of fireworks in order to entertain themselves with the trifles that they got from a dollar store. Their focus is only on the moment. And they find value not in the real worth of a thing, but in the momentary satisfaction that can be derived from the thing. They don't have any social filters, the kind of, the kind of idea that would cause them to worry that mom and dad might be offended that we, uh, we come and we sat on this levee for hours. And I'm more captivated with the glow-in-the-dark bracelet than I am with the fireworks that are going off in the air behind me. They're focused on one question alone, what will make me happy right now. In many ways, children provide us with a raw glimpse into the condition of the human heart. We can be so shallow. We can be so self-centered. We can be so focused on ourselves that we abandon the things that have real value in our lives. In order to pursue things that have captivated our imagination. But don't really have the ability to provide us any lasting satisfaction. That's the underlying story that is, that is addressed in, in the book of Hosea. Hosea was a prophet of God. And God asked him to take a wife, take a woman who was known to be a harlot. And to make her his wife. And the story that unfolds from that union is a living parable of how humanity spurns the priceless love of God to pursue the worthless trinkets of this life. Hosea makes Gomer his wife. And he lavishes her with his love and he pours out his affection upon her. He gives her good gifts and he gives her a good life and he gives her a, a good home and he provides for her in every way Possible. Hosea's love for Gomer in the story is like God's love for us. He, he loved us when we didn't deserve it. He loved us with a, a love that didn't make any sense. Nobody goes and, and takes a harlot for a bride, uh, but he loved her with a special kind of love. Uh, amen. That's the way that God loved us uh, when we were unfaithful. When, when when we were when we were no different than Gomer, when when we played the harlot, still he loved us. He came looking for us and, and found us in a life we had chosen for ourselves. And in his great love, just like Hosea married Gomer, he rescued us from all of that. And he showered us with his blessings. He covered us with his goodness. He provided for our every need. But the story doesn't end there. Eventually, Gomer became restless. Her new life, the new happiness. I don't know the psychological dynamics that go into the making of a harlot. I just know there's wounds that are deep, and there's a sense of diminished self-worth. And somewhere along the way, Gomer begin to believe maybe she didn't deserve this life. Maybe this, this was something she wasn't worthy of. Maybe some deep wound began to manifest itself again in her, her spirit. I, I don't know what it was, but eventually the cheap thrill of, of meeting strangers in the dark began to captivate her mind again. And after a while, Gomer began to fall back into her old habits. It began even while she was living in Hosea's house, even while her and Hosea were raising the son that they had together, she became Restless. And she started slipping out into the night late at night when she thought everybody else in the house was asleep. And, and she'd go and she'd, she'd pick back up her old trade. Perhaps she convinced herself that she needed a little extra money. Perhaps she had some good justification for it at first. Perhaps she, she was going to save up a little on the side and, and surprise Hosea with a nice gift. I don't know what it was. But I know that the human mind has a unique ability to put a friendly face on a foul matter. And I have to believe that somewhere in her heart, Gomea, Gomer tried to, to convince herself that she was, she was doing the right thing. She was doing good. She, there was some good going to come from the thing that she was doing. We had the ability to do that to ourselves. To think that what we are doing is is good, that it's wholesome, that it's right, that it's justified, that it makes sense to us. And if it makes sense to us, that's all that really matters. Even when we know deep down in our hearts that we're abandoning the only true love that we've ever known to chase after a fleeting momentary pleasure that will never satisfy us. There was a lengthy passage of time in the story where Gomer tried to live in both worlds. She tried to be a wife to Hosea while applying her trade in the darkness of the night. I don't know how long it went on, but it was long enough for her to to bring children into the marriage that were fathered by other men. She lived two lives at home. She tried to be the loving wife, but when night came, she abandoned her husband to pursue the attention of other men. She brought two children into that marriage. That Hosea was not their father. Before long, that thing got such a grip on Gomer that she got completely caught up in that lifestyle. And she, one night, she just didn't come home again. One night, she just disappeared into the night. She abandoned Hosea. She abandoned her children. She ran off with her lovers. Because they promised to lavish her with... Material goods. That's where our text comes from in the book of Hosea. At some point, she must have tried to explain to Hosea why she chose that lifestyle over him and the home that he had provided her. Her explanation was simple and it was shallow. She said, I will go after my lovers. They give me bread and my water and my wool and my flax and my oil and my drink. They give me the things that I want. They give me the trinkets that have caught my attention. They they give me the things that satisfy me for a moment. You've got to see the heart of Gomer because it was all about her. It was all about what what would satisfy her. She was captivated by her simple desires, by the momentary pleasures, by the things that she convinced herself that she wanted. But Hosea said just two verses later, She didn't know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold. What I gave her, he said, was far better than what she was chasing after. What I gave her was far greater than the things that she was out in pursuit of. Her lovers gave her bread and water. I gave her corn and wine. They gave her wool and flax, but I gave her silver and gold. Gomer was no different than that little girl named Noelle last night. She was captivated by the, by the cheap dollar store trinkets that she could hold in her hands. and She failed to recognize the truly valuable things that she already had in her life. She ignored the most important thing that she had. Today, as we look at the story of Hosea and Gomer, it seems so obvious to us how foolish Gomer really was. She, She should have counted herself lucky. That a man like Hosea would, would love her. She should have counted herself lucky that she captured the heart of a, a faithful man like Hosea. That he would abandon all sense of decorum and, and would make a harlot his wife. She should have embraced that new life that he gave her. She should have recognized the wonderful gifts that he had given to her. She should have seen the priceless treasure that his love and commitment really was to her. But she was blind to all of it. She became so captivated by the momentary pleasures that she traded the priceless for the worthless. She traded that which was of uh, incalculable value for that which had no value at all. She traded that which was precious for that which was common. And when she did, she provided a very real and living example of how the nation of Israel had spurned the love of God. That was the point. That was the whole reason why God told Hosea to go marry a harlot. So that the story that would undoubtedly unfold in that union could become a living example of the plight of God's own people. It was all about Israel. It was all about the people of God. God chose the nation of Israel. He, he exalted her above all the others. He showered her with his blessings. He lavished her with his love. But over and over and over again, she abandoned the good life that he had given her to chase after things that had no real value to them. When we see Gomer abandon the thing which was truly precious, gold and silver, to chase after those things which were so common wool and flax when we we see her pursuing the things that are worthless and spurning the things that are priceless we see the futility of a whole nation who spurn the priceless blessings of God to pursue the worthless treasures of this world it's a living testimony Of the righteousness of God. And the restlessness of the human heart. And it it finds its roots all the way back in the book of Genesis. All the way back in the fall of humanity. Way back in the Garden of Eden. Because in the very beginning, God created Adam and Eve. And he put them in a garden paradise. Where their every need was met. Where everything that they could ever want was provided for them. And, And best of all, he revealed himself to them. God made himself known in the garden. He wasn't a stranger afar off. He wasn't a God that could not be touched. He wasn't a God that could not be known, but he came to them in the cool of the day, and he, he walked with them in the garden. Adam and Eve enjoyed the fellowship of the presence of God. They they had exclusive access to the Creator of everything that is, and daily they walked through the beauty of creation with the One who created everything that is. I've got to tell you this afternoon that the thing that made the Garden of Eden a paradise was not the plants, it was not the animals, it was not the life of pleasure without toil or pain. The thing that made the Garden of Eden a paradise was the one who met them there. It was the one who... Walked with them there. It was the God who revealed himself there. The real treasure of the Garden of Eden uh, was not the tree of life. Uh, It was the relationship with God. Uh, It was the relationship with the Creator. It was the opportunity to know him, to walk with him, to talk with him, to have fellowship with him, to have a God that was present, not afar off. That's what God made them for. That's what the garden was created for. God fashioned the garden in the first place so that Adam and Eve would be in fellowship with him. They would have a place there where they could know him. God wanted to be known, and he wanted them to know him. He wanted to reveal himself to them, and he wanted them to desire the revelation of his presence. And The greatest thing that Adam and Eve ever possessed Was not a tropical paradise called Eden. It was not a a life of comfort and ease before the curse of sin. The greatest thing that Adam and Eve ever possessed was a relationship with God. They knew Him, they walked with Him. They had fellowship with Him. They communed with Him. The truth about the Garden of Eden is that what made it so wonderful, what made it so exotic, what made it so fulfilling was the presence of God that was there. It was never about the plants. It was never about the animals. It was never about the fruit of the trees or the flowers that bloom there, the waterfalls that flowed. It was was never about the beauty of nature. It was never about a, a carefree existence. It was never about a life that knows no toil and pain. It was about knowing God about being in fellowship with God, about walking with Him. It was about that special time of day, every day. The cool of the day is what the Word of God called it, when God would come and He would walk with His creation. Everything else was just the icing on the cake. Everything else was just the overflow of the goodness of God. The real prize in the Garden of Eden was the fellowship with the presence of God. Somehow Adam and Eve failed to recognize how valuable the treasure really was. Somehow the material things around them, the fruit of a forbidden tree, became more attractive to them than the fellowship of the Creator. You see, Gomer, when she left Hosea, she was acting no different than Adam and Eve acted. When when, when Gomer traded gold and silver for wool and flax, she was acting no different than Adam and Eve acted when they traded the knowledge of God for the knowledge of good and evil. Think about it. What greater knowledge is there than the knowledge of God? What greater knowledge is there than to know God? When you know God, what else could you ever desire to know? What else could there ever be? Adam and Eve had all the knowledge they could ever want. They had the the knowledge of the Creator who came, and He dwelt with them, and He communed with them, and He walked with them. That's the benchmark. For everything that is good. And that establishes the understanding of everything that is evil. Just to know God was to know everything that they could have ever desired to know. But they traded the infinite blessing of knowing God. For the extremely limited blessing of the knowledge of good and evil. The Knowledge of God. Can I tell you this Sunday afternoon that the knowledge of God is the most precious The most priceless thing that exists in all the world. To know God is greater than all the riches of this world. To know God far outshines all the treasures of this world. All of the knowledge of good and evil could never compare. See, to know Him is priceless. To know Him has value beyond measure. But to know the difference between good and evil. To know the difference between right and wrong. That's the most common knowledge in the world. That's the most base, common knowledge in all the world. Every child is born with an understanding of good and evil, right, and wrong, conscience. They chose the simple. They chose the common. They chose the base, the worthless, and they traded the priceless to get it they exchange the knowledge of god for the knowledge of right and wrong they exchange the priceless for the worthless it's a story that's woven throughout the whole of human existence when it comes to the knowledge of god we have a propensity to forsake the priceless to obtain the worthless that's the charge that paul lays at the feet of humanity in general in the first chapter of the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 25, where he says, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him or give thanks to him as God, but became futile in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, birds, and four footed beasts, and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their hearts to dishonor their own bodies among themselves. They turned the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This is the point. The sinful heart has the tendency to worship the creature rather than the creator. To forsake the knowledge of God for the pursuit of lesser things. Like like Gomer, we are blind to the fact that that what what we're giving up is far more valuable than what we're reaching for. Because we're completely captivated by what we are pursuing. Like Eve, we've, we've bought the lie, hook, line, and sinker. That the most common things in this world are more valuable than the most precious thing in all of eternity. We try, we trade, we exchange the priceless for the worthless. Our sense of value has been turned on its head. We'd rather play with the dollar store trinkets of this life than to enjoy the priceless treasure of the presence of God in our lives. It is the most lopsided exchange. That you could ever imagine. It is the most inequitable trade that you could ever come up with. That which is righteous, that which is good, that which is holy is traded for that which is base and that which is common and that which is simple and that which is self gratifying. The worship of the Creator is traded for the worship of the creation. But that isn't what we were made for. That isn't what we were created for. We were made to worship Him. We were made to know Him. We were made to be in fellowship with Him. And what we failed to realize is that all the trinkets of this world will never, ever be able to satisfy the deep longing that is within our soul. We weren't made for the things of this world. We weren't made for the fellowship of this world. We were made for the fellowship of, of our Creator. We were made to know Him. We were made to walk with Him. We were made to talk with Him. We were made to be in communion with Him. The momentary pleasures of this life are fleeting things that leave us empty and broken. They they cannot satisfy the desires of our hearts because they are not what we're really hungry for. They are not what we really desire. They're temporary things that distract us from the real longing that is in our heart. Oh, they can distract us for a moment. They can captivate us for a time. But they cannot and they will not ever be able to satisfy the real desire that is in our hearts. We were made for fellowship with God. We were made to know him, to walk with him. To talk with him. We were made to be known by him. We were made to enter into a relationship with him. There's something on the deep, in the deep part of uh, uh, the soul of a man, deep down on the, the inside that longs for a union, that longs for a fellowship that cannot be found uh, in this world. Uh, amen. The only truth, uh, the only true source uh, uh, of happiness, the only true source of uh, satisfaction. In this life uh, That you'll ever find Will come from knowing God From being in relationship with Him From worshiping Him From walking with Him From being in His presence This afternoon I I come to you To appeal to the story of Hosea and Gomer And hope that you will see in it The reflection of your own heart I come to to preach and I hope and pray that for a moment this afternoon as you see the futility of Gomer's pursuit, that you'll recognize the propensity that we all have to trade that which is priceless for that which is worthless. I want to join my heart, I want to join my voice with that of Hosea as it echoes through all the ages appeals to all of humanity stop consider the value of the relationship that you have neglected before you pursue the things that cannot satisfy your soul before you continue to reach and continue to strive for things that only only mask a deeper desire stop and consider the priceless treasure that you already have Stop and consider what you're doing, where you're going, the direction that you pointed your life. Adam and Eve traded their relationship with God for an empty promise that resulted in their death. Gomer fled the home of the only man who ever truly loved her. She traded the treasure of his love for the vain pursuit of hollow trinkets and empty gifts. And just like them, each of us has the terrible propensity to trade the priceless for the worthless, to forsake the love and the mercy of God in pursuit of temporary pleasures, in pursuit of temporary things that will bring us nothing but hurt and pain in the long run each and every one of us. We have that sin nature that exists within us, that carnal human side of us whose values are twisted, who doesn't understand, doesn't see the priceless for what it really is and sees the worthless as something worth obtaining and would shun the grace of God, would shun the mercy of God, would shun the goodness of God to lay a hold of that which will leave us broken and empty and destitute. But that's not the end of the story. You see, the failure of humanity and the spurning of God's love is really only the beginning of the story. God loved us too much to leave us there. What we When we forsake the priceless to obtain the worthless. Whenever we turned our back on the presence of God and we we sought after things that would never satisfy us, God responded by taking that which was priceless and making it become that which was worthless. The scripture said he made himself a little lower than the angels that he might suffer death uh, for every man. God was not content uh, to let us face the terrible wages of our sin alone. Instead, he robed himself in flesh. Uh, God became a man uh, so that he could personally pay the price uh, for our transgressions. That which was priceless became that which was worthless uh, so that he could stand uh, in solidarity with us, uh, so that he could face the curse uh, of our sin for us. Uh, and out of his grace, great love Uh, he redeemed us uh, with his own blood in the garden humanity sought that which was worthless at the expense of that which was priceless but at the cross God provided that which was priceless in order to redeem that which was worthless he made a way by the shedding of his own blood for you and I to be saved from the horrible consequences of the terrible decisions that we've made. He made a way for us to be restored to a right relationship with him for humanity to once again enjoy the matchless wonder of a right relationship with God. He showed us mercy when we did not deserve it. He showered us with love when we were yet unlovable. He came to us in our backslidden, fallen, Condition, and he gave us another chance. Uh, he gave us another opportunity. He gave us a new invitation to come and know him like we had never known him before. And in keeping with the story of the ages, that is exactly what God told Hosea to do. God sent the prophet in pursuit of the bride that had abandoned him. And on one lonely afternoon on the bad side of town, in the midst of the filth and squalor of a slave trader's auction, Hosea finally found Gomer. He found her in shackles. He found her broken. How pitiful she must have appeared, abandoned by her lovers, rejected and abused by everyone who had used her up and tossed her aside. She was just an empty shadow of the woman that she once was. Uh, Her heart was broken. Her body was broken. Uh, There was nothing good left in her, but through the love of God, Hosea saw not the woman who had spurned him. He saw not the wife who had abandoned him, but he saw his bride. Uh, He saw the only woman uh, that he ever loved with his whole heart. Uh, amen. And it was a love of God that compelled Hosea to reach out uh, and to redeem her and in an exchange that foreshadowed the cross of Calvary. Hosea bought that which was rightfully his. Uh, he paid the ransom price uh, for that which already belonged to him. Uh, he bought his own wife out of slavery. He paid her debts. He paid a debt he did not owe. He paid a price that it was not his to pay in order to obtain that which was already his, that which already belonged to him. And if the story ended there, it would be an incredible tale of enduring love. It would be a, a story of love that bears all, love that, that will not stop, love that keeps on loving even when we don't deserve it, a love that gives no matter what it gets in return. It would be a beautiful story because that's the kind of love that God has for us, or the kind of love that Hosea showed to Gomer, but that isn't the end of the story. The true wonder of the story of Hosea and Gomer is what happened next. You see, Hosea had every right to make Gomer his slave. He had every right to force her into a life of servitude to him. To bring her back to his home and make her be the mother to her children and force her to be a servant in his house. He bought her. She was his slave. But instead of making her a slave in his house, he made her his bride again. He took her home with him that day and gave her complete liberty. Instead of a slave, she was to be a wife. Instead of a master, he was to be a husband. The Bible doesn't tell us what happened next. We never really learn if Hosea's selfless sacrifice was enough to earn Gomer's faithfulness to him for the rest of his life. It's almost as if God leaves the story open so that each and every one of us will realize that we have to make that choice for ourselves. You see, Gomer's story is our story. Gomer's tale is our tale and the rest of the story is in our hands. God has loved us enough To deliver us. He has loved us enough to pay the price for us. That he did not owe. He he loved us enough to stand in our stead. To redeem us out of the slavery of sin. With his own blood. But when he could have made us his servants. When he could have made us his slaves. When he could have ruled over us as a master. Instead he gave us our own free will. And he has invited each and every one of us. To know him. To be with him. To have a relationship with Him. Not just to serve Him. But to walk with Him. And to have fellowship with Him. To know Him in all the ways that He can be known. Just like Hosea. God has given your life back into your hands. And He has asked you again to give Him another chance. To turn back to Him. And to give your life. This Sunday afternoon, you have to make the choice. You have to make that decision. There's a question that you have to answer in your own heart. Will you choose the worthless things of this world? Will you choose the pursuits of this life? Will you choose the momentary pleasures that will ultimately leave you empty and broken again? Or will you choose the fellowship of God? Will you choose to know Him? Will you choose to walk with him? Will you choose to have a relationship with him? As Ryan stands, I mean as Ryan comes to music and as you stand. When you look at the story of Gomer. It's easy to see what the right choice is for Gomer to make. It's easy, it's so obvious to us. That the best thing in her life is the love that Hosea has shown to her. The best thing in her life is the the love of God that he has given to her. But when you look at your own life, when you consider your own situation, things become a little less obvious. They become a whole lot more complicated. And all that justification... All that self-righteousness, all the many multitude of complicated things in your life begin to, they begin to speak up and they begin to vie for your attention and the things that have captivated your imagination, they try to draw you aside. Every one of us would gladly say that Gomer would be making the right choice, she'd be making the best choice. If she never again abandoned Hosea, she never went back to that life, if she never tested his mercy again, but then we look at our own lives and it becomes so complicated, it becomes so cluttered, it becomes so confused this afternoon you you have to get through you have to cut through all of the confusion you got to cut through all the the other stuff that's going on in your life, and for a few moments, I want you to find the clear and simple answer that's been staring you in the face all along. The best part of your life is your relationship with God. The best part of your life is the time that you spend with Him. The only thing that will ever bring you happiness, the only thing that will ever bring you fulfillment, the only thing that will ever satisfy you is a relationship with your creator. That's what you were made for. God fashioned you for divine purpose. He put his hand upon you. He made you. To be in fellowship with Him. He made you to know Him. The only thing that will ever satisfy you is to be in right relationship with Him. The more you neglect that, the more dissatisfied your soul will become. And the more dissatisfying the pursuits of this world will be. You'll keep chasing You'll keep running. It'll be one thing after another. It'll be this thing and then that. And you'll never find satisfaction. You'll never find the thing that makes you whole and complete until you abandon everything else at an altar and turn your heart to God. And seek Him first. Seek Him above all else. He takes precedent over career. He takes precedent over education. He takes precedent over hopes and dreams. He, he takes precedent over everything else in my life. He takes precedent over every relationship. He takes precedent over every thought and every care and every concern. There is a choice to be made in this house today and I want to encourage you abandon the fruitless pursuit of worldly treasures abandon the fruitless pursuit of the trinkets of this life and lose yourself completely in a relationship with Jesus Christ he is the thing he is the only thing